Welcome everyone to Seek Go Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. We've got such a fun conversation today. We are going to do a, do a deep dive into leadership. Our guest has written a book called Right Leader, Right Time, great title. We're gonna be talking about that. And there's another book he wrote that I wasn't able to read. I'm gonna ask about that. So heavy duty leadership conversation. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Before I do, I wanna remind everyone that your host, Tim, has written a novel. Yes, you heard that correctly, a novel. And depending on when you're listening to this, it has probably been released and you could get more information on it. But you know what's interesting? It was a novel, it's a story, it's got some leadership principles and I kind of have described it as an inspirational story with a little bit of edginess and a supernatural twist. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but hopefully it intrigues you enough to go get the book. But uh, recently I was interviewed on a radio show and the host had read the book and she actually said, you know, this is almost like a leadership novel, which I had never thought of. I mean, I was just trying to write a cool story that had some principles in it that I would want to learn and that I'm hopeful that the reader wants to learn. And so I just thought that was really cool. So I should be calling it maybe a business or leadership novel, but uh, go check it out. It's at timwinders.com forward slash book timwinders.com forward slash book and whenever you go there you'll be able to get the latest information on it and and just check it out before to hearing uh, hearing what you have to say about it and uh, excited that uh, we're getting this out to the world so anyway today we have Robert Jordan as our guest and I've got a bio here that's massive. I mean, he's got so many, he's got a background. He's launched companies, helped other owners and investors build their companies for 25 plus years. So many other things. He runs Interim Execs, and which is a great uh, sounding company that we're going to talk about. Coming to us from Chicago, but this is actually the best uh, intro that I saw of him. I think it was from LinkedIn. And he says that he's bringing growth and transformation to companies through Rockstar Executive Talent. Robert, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thanks so much, Tim. I'm so honored to be with you. And you know, listening to you, I feel like we could have a conversation all day. I, I believe we can. We were kind of joking earlier. It's like, you know, we try to keep the conversations to 60 minutes or less. It's like, dang, I, I've got so many things. Well, you I know, got to start because, also, you know, the, I, I started listening to your podcast and then I went back to your origin story. And as soon as I started listening to your origin story, my brain exploded. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, it just started me on my own origin stories, plural. And it was like, this is great. Even though yeah, you were very... writing what you were what you were talking about was quite serious. And we, we've got some similar experiences there. Wow, we're good. Well, we'll we'll dive into that. My first question, let's get this out of the way. Uh, Robert, you know, I've got this bio and we'll, we'll include it in the notes so people have it. Um, you've got so many things that you've done, but when you bump into people, you and I just see each other on a plane or something like that. And I ask you what you do. What do you typically tell people? I'm a matchmaker run this uh, company called interim execs and organizations from around the world call us because they have some leadership need and we're a great matchmaker between what their needs are right now and and as 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 you have already said very kindly rock star leadership yeah i so i love the term matchmaker because that really is a great definition and it's so needed with all that's going on in the world. I, I want to dive into that 
later. And I want us to get to your book. In fact, I want to ask you some things about your other book that I heard about when I was doing a little bit of research the other day. But I think what I'd love to do, I think this is the flow I'd love for us to go. Let's go big picture first. Let's talk leadership in general, maybe define it, have fun with all of that. It's a question that I ask anyone that's got leadership in and around their description is to just kind of try to define what it is. And then we'll kind of go deeper. And I want to know more about, uh, you know, your matchmaking. And then I want us to kind of finish up with Right Leader, Right Time, the book, and discuss that because there's, I've read most of it. I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't finish it, but I've read most of it. And I've got a lot of questions that are swimming around in my head that I know the listener probably would too. But but uh, first big thing here, Robert, let's just go into how long would you say you've been in the the area of leadership, leadership development, leadership training? How long have you had leadership associated with your name? That's a great question, Tim. I mean, I was the I was the little kid organizing my friends. Okay, <laughs> you know, and and so you know, if that was the start or whatever, I wasn't trying to be bossy. But um, and I wasn't necessarily great at sports, but when there were things that we were doing, I would I would generally be the person who was uh, organizing, and so it it started from a pretty early age. And I I've just always been entrepreneurially wired. I started a bunch of things. Um, when my business partner Olivia and I started researching for the book Right Leader Right Time. Um, the context was much more though on a particular particular leadership style. I think I, I'm solidly in, which we call artist mode. Um, and it, it's, it, it's not necessarily all a plus. Uh, I'll put it that mm. way, okay? The, the leaders are wired in, in a variety, an infinite variety of ways. And it doesn't mean that everyone is gonna end up, you know, being the next CEO of Google. Right. And, and and listen, one of the things that I've done, it could be my ministry or some other things I've done, is that I think culturally when we use that word leader, it's kind of like this bigger word than it really has to be. And I remember this. You may, If you've listened to some things we've done, I, I was talking to someone that um, it was a mature woman. I won't use the word older, Robert, but she... She ran a household. They had a little farm. This was in Oregon. And I told her that she should go check out my podcast. She goes, oh, what is it all about? I said, oh, we do leadership business ministry. She goes, oh, I, I don't, I'm not a leader. And I'm sitting here, and she's taking care of her, her husband, who's got some illness. She's actually taking care of a, her sibling, who's actually had some illness. And she's got a large property that she takes care of. And, and in my mind, I'm sitting here going, I think we may have messed up with how we define leaders and maybe put them on pedestals and things like that. I've been working through that in my mind. So the first thing that I want to go back to, though, you brought up, uh, you know, when you were young, as early as you could remember that you just kind of organized the kids out on the playground and things like that. Were you ever um, were you ever uh, like uh, into the political stuff when you were in elementary or high school? Did you ever run for anything? I was like class president a couple of times and I can't even think back to why I decided to do it. But uh, what are some leadership roles that you had that might've been a little more formal when you were, when you were early years? 
I, I I never reached your your heights, Tim. I was not. Yeah, don't don't be that impressed. Uh, no, I, I wasn't uh, class president when I was in college. I went to University of Michigan. I did a little of that stuff there in student government. I've never been wired though for uh, politics per se. That that has not been the way it expresses for me. That the way it expresses for me is that I, I do have a belief that great and principled leadership can solve any problem. I believe that. Hmm. I don't I don't necessarily think it's always in the political or the governmental realm. I hope that it is. It was interesting. It was just reading something about the postmaster general um, that's really interesting, and it's a context we appreciate from the point of view of how we divide leadership styles, because what he's doing to try to modernize and fix the postal system, um, I think, is inspiring. Yeah, but if we, I can get back that for a moment, Tim, to what you had said in terms of like definition of leadership, from a technical point of view, because alongside the book, we're launching a leadership assessment. It's free. We, we very much want to learn and and really gather as much information as we can and feedback and to get into conversations with leaders. Um, our definition at its broadest of a leader is if you're in an organization and you have responsibility for someone else, you're a leader. And so whether that someone else is literally an employee or is it a client relationship, um, you're evidencing leadership. Hmm. That's good. Uh, and, and I want us to hold that thought because there was one other thing that I wanted to address from, we'll call it Robert, the younger years. And that is anytime someone tells me something to the effect of, I was just always organizing people, not necessarily being bossy, but telling people what to do. You know, when it came to probably playing games on the playground, you were the one saying, hey, Joe, you go here and all this kind of stuff. I, I could almost visualize that. But it begs the question that has that always comes up when leadership is discussed. And that is, are great leaders, successful leaders, however we want to define that, maybe we'll do that a little bit later, are they born or are they made? And I've debated this, I've argued it, I've gone through different, you know, thoughts myself, but what say you, Robert? Are they born or made? I mean, it sounds like Robert, out of the womb, was pretty much living large and in charge, and he was a leader. Or was there something in your environment that kind of fostered that? Well, it's a great question, Tim, and I'm going to tell you what what uh, my thinking is based on on you know all this research and interviewing and and writing forces you, as you know, because you're a writer. Writing forces you to say this, not that, to choose a path. And, and I believe for leaders, it is completely based on your style. So we discuss in the book, these four styles, which I know we're gonna get into at some point, fixer, artist, builder, strategist. And for short in the book, a lot of times we call it fabs, okay? Um, my particular style, which is strongly artist leader driven, I believe is a compelled style. And what I mean by that is it is somewhat innate. I think in a lot of cases it comes from pain. It is something that leaders express in some cases to their peril. 
a lot of creatively, innovatively driven people do what they do because they feel they must do it, even at the sacrifice of income, even at the sacrifice of prestige, that it's simply the way they view the world and therefore the way they view work. I don't think the same is true of all other work styles. For example, people who are wired as fixers, which is to say they love turning around broken situations. Most of those people, it's not exactly fall into it, but in the corporate realm, at least, for a lot of those people, they start out somewhat undifferentiated, if you will. They have promise, they go into something, and at some point, somebody sees something in them, and there's a broken division. There's a broken project, a broken client relationship. And they figure, I'm gonna throw Tim into this just to see what happens. And they throw Tim into it and he crushes it. And it's it turns from a one-off to where that person says, oh my God, that was amazing. I need to do that again. That wiring of fixer, I'm not sure that it is necessarily coming out of the womb, but that sense of, I'm gonna run into the burning building um, is part of it. It's just our definition of fixer is they wanna keep doing that over and over again in their work experience. Yeah, and I, 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 as I was reading through the book and we're gonna start bouncing a little bit here, I could tell. As I was reading through the book, I actually went to take the assessment on your site. I don't know that it's up live yet um, because I, I was sitting here talking to my wife. I go, oh, let me let me read through these styles to you because we we love doing things like strength finders and we, we kind of love that one as a base level. And I've actually done disc and, you know, we all know the Myers-Briggs and stuff like that. But uh, but I was <laughs> as I read them going, oh, I could I could I could see myself being that way. And then I don't know if this is arrogance or whatever. I said, ah, but you know what? I got a little bit of that in me. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a, I am a builder. I like to build new things and all of that. And then, and then strategist was what, when I do, when I do strength finders, both my wife and I are number one strength out of the strength finders from the Gallup uh, polls uh, is the, um, is we're strategy. Strategy is our number one strength in those. And they, it sort of relates to the way y'all define it. It might be a, a slightly different but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so I'm sitting here. So later, I'm probably going to pin you down and say, all right, you've studied me a little bit. We've talked for a little while. What do you think I am? So we're not going to get to that yet because I, I want to, I'm still at the, at kind of at a macro. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Robert before we really go into it. I like to ask the question, assess the state of leadership in our world today where are we at as far as all right, we've been we've been training leaders now let's say the industrialized world now for 100 plus years we've been in a corporate setting you know we've had people working for people in close quarters you know not necessarily an agrarian society hunter gatherer and all that type of stuff how are we doing what what do you what would you say are we doing really well are we do we suck you know what what is going on with leadership because when I look across the horizon, sometimes I'm extremely optimistic and sometimes I'm going, oy vey, oh my gosh, we got issues. What do you say, Robert? Man, that's a great question. This one alone we could do for a long time. I, my, my snap reaction to that is, God help us. The state of, mm -hmm. of most leadership uh, 
Gallup organization, 90% of leaders are in the wrong roles. Uh, research that says 95% of your employees don't even know clearly what your mission is. That's a failure of, of leadership. Um, technology does not help. A good friend of ours, uh, a senior executive at, a, at one of the biggest technology companies on the planet, and Dan was talking about so many, this engineering mindset in leadership that tries to reduce the issue down to metrics and to technology and that I get it. And for measurement purposes, yes, it makes perfect sense, but we're still in a human business as in being human beings dealing with each other. So the challenges are clearly out there. They have not lessened. There is nothing in, in technology now Nominally, you could say there are things that, that make the game of being a leader better or easier. There is more transparency. The fact that you have voice, Tim, that you can speak and you can speak to the masses, that's a form of power that did not exist before. It's speaking truth to power. Um, that's very valuable. But the challenge of being a leader within an organization as present as it's ever been um, one of the people we interviewed, he, he said something to the effect of, it, it's just, it's never over. You are never fully arrived at this, no matter how good you are. Um, you can think you're, you've just had the greatest day in the world and everyone thinks you're incredible. And the next day, you know, your, your favorite manager employee quits. So apparently, you know, you weren't shining as much as you thought. It's hard. Yeah, and I think the thing that, as you were saying all that, Robert, it's it's almost as if <clears throat> this is where I'm going to go a little bit of my not optimistic <laughs> uh, viewpoint. It's almost as if the challenge is greater than a person can handle. Like there's so much coming at us that uh, there's no time to really rest. There's so much stimulus. There's so many things going on. That's when I get a little bit discouraged. But then I actually look at some things like you're doing. And I don't, I don't know that this is your mission, but I think this is probably where you and I could say this is where you and I lock arms with some other people out there because I believe that we are attempting. Tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. We are attempting to solve the issue of the challenges that leaders have in the world today. Is that correct? Is that what you're, is that what you're really, is that your mission? Yes. And, and, you know, you, Tim, are, are exemplifying it. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, I said, I thought we could talk all day and I'm thrilled to be with you because what you're touching on is where I would go with this is moral compass. Um, mm. That, that the act of leadership we hope what we want to espouse is what is principled, what is accountable to be held to account. Much of leadership is not. And it's interesting, my co-author, Olivia Wagner, we've been business partners now for 13 years. Um, we took five years researching, interviewing and writing this book, okay. Um, it's so interesting when I look at a successful partnership like ours, that what really came together and the way we could have a successful company doing something which is incredibly high risk, to, to vouch for a leader to go into a situation where 
everything is at stake. They could really screw it up. And, and that early on, we had figured out where we were completely simpatico was this sense of morality, a sense of integrity, a sense of spirit. And uh, that's why I was so thrilled with what you do, because you have more guts than I do. A lot of what we put into the book, it is, it, it touches on this. Um, but, you know, we felt like, well, it's got to be couched in business, right? It has to be in this business terms for people to find it uh, acceptable or, or the te- that teachable moment. Yeah, I, lo- I love that you brought up moral compass because I'm actually working on a, a, a teaching that might be an episode that I do solo. And it, it really, addre- it, it, you said it well with that moral compass. I don't think that's a word I'll, I, I was going to use, but I might swipe it. Um, it's kind of like the foundation of who we are. And, and, you know, the way people bring up moral compass, I believe it has a spiritual component to it. Uh, a lot of people have strong morals that may not have a spiritual component, but that, and that's fine. But, uh, but, and the reason that it kind of has come up with me, Robert, is because of seeing so many leaders, I'll say fail. I mean, you know, we talk about success here in a different way than a lot of people do, but but they just fall. They, they are placed in a position that isn't a good match, you know, like you, you guys work on making it a match. And I, what I saw when reading this book was is that you guys are digging deep to try to make sure people are a good match in the roles that they're supposed to, supposed to be in. And, uh, and I just do think that we miss a lot of those foundational principles. And I'm excited that we're kind of like connecting because it seems like we both – really work on um, on kind of moving in that direction. But something that I wanted to ask, uh, and this is a slight diversion, but we're going to kind of circle back in. What have been some impactful moments uh, outside of the playground that we talked about earlier in your leadership development? I mean, you've been, your thing says 25 plus years. That's what people do like like me when it's been a lot longer than that. We just say like 25 plus so that people don't really know how long we, uh, we've been around it. But, uh, too but what have been. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like going, man, 40 years. Well, I don't want to put that on a resume or anything. But give us a couple of high points from Robert's leadership experience and I want, I like to have a couple of low points, you know, I mean, you know, if you've heard my origin and other things like that, I believe we learn more from those many times in the high points. So give us a few of those before we start diving into these personality, these style, not these personality, but these leadership styles. Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this, Tim, because again, your origin story, I found so inspiring. Um, and, you know, you hit, you hit your low point 2013. Well, I, I have a very distinct memory, age of 28, walking into the federal bankruptcy court in Chicago, Illinois, to the clerk's office, uh, because my first company, I had, I had launched the first magazine anywhere in the world to cover online and internet. Sounds great now, but I was five years too early. Um, the way I describe it is any mistake you can make in business, I made it. Well, I didn't have moral breaches, but any stupid mistake you could make in cash management and hiring and anyway, but you know, there was a moment and uh, 
I, there was no money left for a lawyer or, or an accountant or anything, and someone had to go file. And uh, I think someone had advised, you know, you just list all your assets alphabetically, walk in the door. Uh, but to be 28 years old um, and to have, I dropped out of graduate school to launch this company. And I, you could probably tell I'm a pretty enthusiastic kind of person. Uh, that was a low point. That was a very low point. And I know you hit yours. And, and um, I know you're the better for it. And I know I am too. Now that didn't, that didn't instantly, that was not my instant reaction. My instant reaction was it's time for a pity party. So real quick though, why I put some thought into this for myself. And I do agree that, listen, there's a lot of ugly things in life. But for someone who's wired to do business and all that, to have to walk into a bankruptcy court is one of the most, uh, I don't even know if humbling is the right word. Humiliating. I'll go with humiliating. Humiliating. I mean, it is just, and, and my wife was, anyway, it's just one of the worst days ever. But you say you're better for it. I'm going to dig a little bit on that, Robert. Why? Why are you better for it? Because there's some people listening going, no way, I don't want to deal with it. And then some people going, okay, he's better for it. What the heck? Why, why are you better for it? Well, initially, I, I don't, I wouldn't disagree with anyone listening who said that there is no better. Well, um, I mean, I could tell you what, what I did initially, but I'll tell you when it really hit home was years later, I, I had the blessing of of a mentor who was probably the first interim CEO in the US. And um, that's how I got my entire career now. Uh, anyway, he, he was a mentor. And when I started doing gigs, I started going out in the world. And in my case, it was for early stage tech companies and helping and sometimes taking on this management role. Well, as you know, um, for a lot of companies, especially early stage, they're not all gonna make it. They're gonna hit a crisis every day. Well, when you've already gone to the worst point you can in business, which is to say you've gone bust and you come out the other end of it, what I found was that no matter the situation that the client was in, or some had become friends or fellow shareholders or whatever, um, it's a little like someone surviving battle, that you get battled hardened, and if you survive it, you, you know something. And you know something that someone else who's never been through it can't know, can't really feel. They could read about it, but they can't really know it. And I saw this terror, you know, you would see this terror these these founders which is like their their baby their dream the sacred thing and it was going to be destroyed you know what that kind of thing and it'd be like hold on and i thought oh my god i can't believe it i actually got something out of the fact that i had to go through that mess i still didn't wish it on myself oh gee that was wonderful but it was pretty interesting how it it formed this foundation um, to be more calm and confident and poised and, and 
more effective for people around me. Yeah, that's good. And you can't teach that. No, I mean, I had right? been, you know, the, I, I had been in the business school and dropped out, start the first company and going through a lot of this is like, oh my God, there, there's none of this that could be taught. You know, they could teach you how to read a balance sheet. They can't teach you what to do when you are going to miss payroll. When your employees are looking at you on payday, oh my God. So, so having gone through that, those kinds of battles and, and eventually survived and got into things that became very successful, uh, I guess it proved to be priceless. Hmm. Yeah, the, the word my wife and I use all the time. I repeat it all the time. We don't wish what we went through on others, but we are so thankful we, we went through it because of who we are and what we learned. But boy, it, it was definitely painful. Well, at some point, you, you mentioned the mentor earlier that it kind of exposed you to the interim, you know, C-level uh, type um type world and now you've got interim execs at this company so obviously that's been going for some time now i can't remember the exact history of it but talk a little bit about the formation of that explain to people what it is some people do not understand the fractional or the interim uh you know c level or the or the placement type um uh, practice there the matchmaker that you talked to about there earlier. tell us what it is and then tell us a little bit about how it formed up it, it had been an unknown thing in the US up until around 20 years ago. The concept of, you could call this, this uh, person interim fractional contract project-based. It actually started in Europe. And it's interesting because in Europe, you know, mostly major corporations, uh, someone discovered, you know, they, they got assigned a project, they thought it was gonna tank their career. And somebody discovered that if you could hire an outsider who was never gonna stay, had no vested interest. Well, if the project screwed up, who cared? And, and hence the, the, the interim executive was born. That's going back 40, at least 40 years. So in Europe, it's a different kind of thing. But here in the US, uh, my mentor, his name is Philip Monigo, arguably the first interim CEO. He was the first CEO of Yahoo. And uh, when he described what he did, he literally took the founders, they were on a trailer on Stanford's campus. Stanford didn't really like entrepreneurship that much at the time. They thought that uh, Yahoo servers were a drain and Stanford would never admit to this now. Uh, but anyway, uh, Philip came in and he literally day one, he incorporated the company and by day 180, Yahoo had gone public. And we're not talking about a minor IPO, we're talking a major IPO. And this profoundly impressed me. I, I heard this story and it blew my mind. I, I'm a person who determined my entire career based on a conversation with a guy I didn't even know that well, but I came home from that conversation and I bought the domain interimceo.com and then I bought interimcfo.com and essentially hung out a shingle. Hmm. Interesting. So in what year, what, what time frame was this? 90, around 95. Oh, wow. So it's been a while. That's like early internet. That was I, I was wondering internet. if it was like early Well, we internet, started the so. magazine in 86, way pre.com. 
there yeah, were, like you said, about about five years too early. Is that what you said? Yeah, there, there were dinosaurs in, in the 80s, you know, and then there was the pre-internet. You know, there were these services, CompuServe, Genie, Delphi, Prodigy, AOL. So, yeah, and I, I love, I mean, I love that concept of the interim. And, and I'll tell you why I love it. And maybe this gives a little bit of glimpse into me. I don't like locking. I mean, listen, I live in an RV. I travel. I mean, come on. I, I don't like locking myself in. And I think I love to come in. Maybe, I don't know if I'm fixer, builder. I don't know what exactly it is. We'll talk about styles in just a moment. But I, I like the thought of leaving. When I worked corporate, I came out of uh, Georgia Tech as an engineer. And I went to work for Bell South. And I had 10 jobs in my nine years that I worked there. And I became kind of known, this was maybe not a great term, as a hatchet person, is that when they needed to kind of trim an organization, I was the one they brought in they, because they knew I wasn't concerned about protecting my job or any of that. I was just, what do we need to do to fix it? This organization, let's, you know, let's see what we need to do it. And, and truthfully, people got to where they didn't like it when I showed up because they kind of knew what was going to happen. But, uh, but I, I think back on, you know, that time as I'm reading your book, I'm going, wow, I'm I'm one of these guys that I'm kind of an interim type guy mindset. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think the value there is there are some people that go into organizations and they are looking to sustain themselves and to create something that protects themselves. And someone who's, this is my words, I don't know if this is a negative, a hired gun, they've got a job to do. And they come in and do that job. Is that is that an accurate description? Is a little off? Uh, accurate description. And look, a lot of the world is going this way. Uh, a lot of people who are early in their careers would absolutely say that they view work, whether their corporate employer is big or small, as project based. You know, LinkedIn years ago made it very clear that they would say to their employees, we know you're not going to be here your entire career. This is a tour of duty for you, we get that. And it could be it evolves inside the organization. More likely, you know, it's going to be somewhere else. But, but it was kind of thinking about how do we make this great, this experience? And a lot of the world has gone this way. There are industries where they perfected it. You know, the movie making industry in Hollywood the that entire production the actors directors producers the, the people on the set they come together to make something magical and it's completely natural to them that when they are done they will disband they will reband you know in a completely different way in the next movie and what's the matter with that it it it's worked you know and and maybe there's a there's something to it i i love I love all that you guys are doing there. At some point along the way, um, you, I don't know if it was Olivia, but someone decided to write some books. And, and the book that I missed was How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. Tell us briefly about that and why, I think that was the first one, maybe if it wasn't, let me know, but uh, a little bit about that. And then we're gonna, we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about these uh, leadership styles. Sure. Uh, I, I had a blessed event, Tim. One of the companies that I was with, and, and through, through no, no genius on my part, just having brilliant partners, they, they took a company from nothing and 
five years, it went from zero to like 150 million revenue and there was an IPO, a blessed event. And even being a small shareholder in a IPO is far better than being, you know, something major in a business that never goes anywhere. Well, so I had this blessed event and it was like, there has to be a way to give back. There has to. And I, I wondered what that was. Did I, I've been in the Chicago business community my whole career. Did I want to organize something philanthropic? Um, did I want to start a venture fund here? Whatever. But I had, you know, publishing roots. I've been in magazine publishing. And, and I, have, I have to tell you, I have a little pet peeve, okay? When you've been around technology, uh, there's this bias, had been, for sure, that if it's not in Silicon Valley, it doesn't really count. I didn't like that at all. And, and I knew that, you know, my home area, the Midwest, or as we say in the book titled The Heartland, had incredible success. Well, rather than just saying it, it was like, could I demonstrate it? And so I went to a bunch of friends and venture capitalists and said, would you help me here if I, if I tried to study to figure out the best, uh, the most accomplished company founders, um, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, you know, and, and tell that story through Q and A's. And I didn't realize it was going to take me four years, but at the end of four years, how they did it came out and it profiled in Q and A 45 company founders who had all started from scratch and created about $60 billion in, in value. And so there were some remarkable stories in there. What'd you learn? What was the big, so what was some big takeaways for Robert, uh, with the, through those interviews? Cause I would love, I mean, you know, I love to talk and interview. What did you gather from that? I, I will give you one of the stories that was so incredible. I had to repeat part of it, um, in right leader, right time. Okay. There you, there's really one person in the world who can be credited with creating artificial hips and knees you know, the, those joints. Um, his name is Dane Miller. He's the founder of a company called Biomet in Warsaw, Indiana. And Dane, um, you know, he became very well known because he, he tinkered with it and all that. And Biomet was one of the most successful public companies of all time. It's now merged in with another company. But uh, Dane, um, I got to interview Dane in his office in Warsaw, Indiana. And as he said, you know, you can't get there from here. He, he liked being in a very small town. And I had heard a story about Dane and he was right there in person. And so I got to ask him, I said, show me your arm. Well, here's the story. He, the early thinkers about artificial joints thought that the best material for the human body was stainless steel. Dane didn't agree. He thought it would eventually corrode and he thought the only material that could be used was titanium. Everyone thought he was crazy. So there was a storm in Northern Indiana from a couple directions, a couple different tornadoes that knocked out the power for a week. In his plant, he couldn't do anything. And he called a friend who was a surgeon. He said, I'm coming over. Uh, you're gonna put a piece of titanium in my arm. The friend was like, Hippocratic Oath, I can't do it. He finally convinced him, he says, you're gonna do it. So he did, he, he took a little slug of titanium, put it into his, embedded it in his forearm, 
He left it there for 10 years. Why? Because he wanted to prove a point using his own body that titanium was a safe material. That story for me was just, it was, are you committed? Are you committed? And, you know, that's why what you're doing is extraordinary, Tim, because I can tell you are committed. And that, <laughs> that could be in a way, another definition of, of leadership, which is, you know, because everybody says, uh, you know, they're authentic and they're in it and all of that. And, you know, we use a phrase a lot in the book, highest and best use. And that, that is the thing to which we would hope leaders would aspire to. Our experience from having been approached now by over 7,000 executives is it is not true of the majority of executives. They do not end up always in highest and best use. Yeah, I think, and that's why I like the term you use, matchmaker. I do want to say how much I appreciate Dane because my wife has a titanium hip. So that's pretty cool. So we've, we've gotten some words like moral compass. We've got committed, but somewhere along the way, you, you and Olivia decided to write this book, Right Leader, Right Time, which we'll talk about the title in just a moment. But I think it's, I think it's fascinating that y'all decided to go into uh, what they call leadership styles. How did that come about? What was the, I guess, the formation or foundation of why the book was going to be written? So tell us a little bit about that story as we get into it a little bit deeper. The, uh, the business that we are in is unique. It gives you this ringside seat. Um, we, we would have a client company and they've come to us because they have a leadership need, the owners, the board, the managers, whoever. And so here we, as matchmaker, we put the executive or the team in place and that's when the work really starts. And so along the way, we joke that we have a happiness index, like the country of uh, Bhutan, they have a happiness index. And we joke that we have to have a happiness index pretty much batting a thousand, that the organization has to be ecstatic with this resource person or people who've come in, or we, we don't want to continue it. And the executive has to be in highest and best use. They got to be happy and we're not going to continue it. Well, in observing this, and because we'd interviewed thousands of people, we knew all kinds of what is mediocre. Well, what we observed when we saw this success going on was that there were these four distinct styles and they were really sharply defined in a way. And from the outside, you could say, well, this person's talented, this person's talented, you know, whatever, they're all the same. No. And we're not talking about based on what their title was. I don't mean based on CEO, CFO, CIO. And so we saw these four things. For example, people that gravitated towards always fixing, always turning around. People who gravitated towards organizations at large size, scale, strategist. And so we, we got this idea of fixer, artist, builder, strategist. Um, this is the beauty of partnership because uh, I said to Olivia, we should write a book about this. And uh, Olivia said, uh, yes, and um, this is really bigger, much bigger than the idea we've already been at, which was interim execs, which is true. 
our, our company was never perfectly named, but the concept of bringing great accountable leadership to organizations, it, it needs to be based on, on fit and situation and not on what timing is. Yeah, so before we kind of get deeper into that, I, the thought that I had was what happens? What are some of the things that you see happen when we don't have the right fit? I mean, I'm, I was reading through the styles and I'm sitting here going, okay, there's probably times that I've seen, uh, you know, round square peg, round hole, whatever. Um, and I think a lot of people are in that position, but they may not understand it. Maybe they're trying to be something they're not. Maybe they're trying to do something just for the money. I, I, I don't know. There could be all kinds of reasons, but what are some other byproducts of a bad match? What, are you, what do you see when the match just isn't there? A bad match can be disastrous. Um, we, um, we, we write about this, of course, in the book, um, you know, when, when things can, can go horribly wrong. In particular, we write about, because just because you have a particular style does not mean that it should not be governed. We're, we believe one of the winning things about these kind of fabs leaders, for example, is collaboration. Collaboration is important, not just because you have this particular capability, but because others on the team have other complementary capabilities that are going towards forming a great team. You know, so for example, in the book, we talk about an example of an individual. He, he was referred to as Chainsaw Al. His name was Al Dunlap. Uh, for those who are familiar with the company Sunbeam, um, you know, he, he was fixer run amok. And in a way you could say, well, sure, if you're going to fire half of the employees and uh, then there was uh, fudging of, of the accounting, yeah, I guess anything is possible. Um, so so the, these styles apply and they apply towards excellence, um, but they're not, no one should take them to the extreme as, well, the extreme in the other sense is that someone that thinks they're all things to all people. And that we are completely, we, we, we'd love to debunk that. That in fact is a recipe for a leader having a mediocre career. Yeah. You know, one of the things as I was reading this, there's a word we, I think we briefly discussed it earlier, but it's the word humility that kind of needs to, <laughs> it needs to be layered across all of these because, you know, someone who thinks they are all that and, you know, they walk on water and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a challenge regardless of the style, um, which which brings up something. You know, y'all came up with four styles. And and I guess let me see here. I've got a few questions rolling through my head. I did an episode. There's a guy named Benjamin Hardy who wrote personality styles. He was talking about the personality styles are not permanent. And he just talks about how sometimes people take these styles and they think that that's who they are and they can't change. When, you, when people look at the leadership assess, assessment of the FABS styles, is it something that you believe is fixed? Can people adjust? Can they be multiple styles? Talk to us about the, I don't know if the words is the breadth of it, but, you know, is someone pigeonholed into one for the, all their lives or can they change? How does that work? We certainly would not want to pigeonhole anyone 
the way we would say it is we're all on a journey and it's really hard. I'm not sure someone at the start of, of career could know. I don't, I don't know that it's possible to know at the start because it doesn't necessarily make sense in your first or your second job. Um, I would say overall, the way we think of these four styles is a little bit like DNA. You know, all of what is biological life is made up of just four nucleotides, right? But it is to infinite variety. You know, so whether it's it's your Aunt Mary, you, you know, or the bird flying by, DNA is DNA. And and so leadership style, all great leaders have elements of fixer and of artist and of builder and of strategist. Everyone does. It's just that successful people have a dominant trait. And into that dominant trait or or combination of a dominant and a secondary, they do these things. They double down. And that's very hard to do that requires rejection of what is not highest and best use. They are better at collaborating. It's not just lip service. They know that they have this capability, but there's this humility you talk about, which is to recognize they're not going to get anywhere without other people having, as one psychologist said, you have to be spiky on the team. Spiky meaning that you have this, this ability that could show up on a graph someone else in the team has this other spike that shows up on the graph you have to be you have to have those abilities no matter what your style is the final thing we talk in the book of commonalities is you can't hide mm. and this is where leadership in most cases fails it, it does not people who do not hold themselves to account the, the way we really started thinking about it was the, we came up with these d's there's dilution, there's delusion, there's detours, and there's downfalls. What you tend to see with a lot of leaders is there is a dilution of effort. There isn't a concentration, there isn't a focus. And it's a little bit delusional. You could confront the person and say, hey, you know, your so-called choice that you'll work for a small company, a big company, you'll work in the US, you'll work in Europe, you don't care what industry you're in, you don't care what role. That's not really helping you or any organization around you to be that in that way it's it's really more just setting up for a series of detours or desperation hmm. does that make sense it does yeah i like that and you know it's one of the things that this is a sentence that just came to my mind and i don't even know if this is still current but years ago when we talked about leadership we used to talk about that in the corporate setting people would typically get promoted to their level of incompetence they would continue moving up until they got to a job that they absolutely weren't qualified for and couldn't do, which is uh, unfortunate. And I saw examples of it. I don't know if that still applies, but I do love evaluating styles like you guys have laid out so that we could at least get a better match from it. I think what I'd love for you to do now, and I'm trying to watch my time here like I knew what happened. I think if if you could just do a quick description of the four uh, titles. We don't have to go deep into it because I think people need to get the book, but just give us the four and just a brief blurb or two about them. And then I'm going to ask you a few things about that as we kind of finish up so that people will know maybe which direction to get more information. So let's hit the four. The fixer is the person who is drawn to running into the burning building. It is heroic. It is wanting to save the organization. But our distinction on fixer here is it's time after time. The artist is the person who views work, the world, the project, the client, 
either as a blank canvas, a piece of clay, but creativity drives them first and foremost. It is a compulsion. The builder is someone who has market domination on the brand, whether it is, you know, I was in Boston, there's a wonderful bakery there, they're dominant in Boston. They have to dominate the world, but they have market on the brain and that builder behind that, they think of systems, they think of process to become repeatable. Everyone wants to be builder, we get that. Our definition of builder here though, is when that business reaches scale, those kind of builders will seek to do it again with a new product, new service, new client, new company, new division. The strategist, they operate at scale. Mission and purpose, it's central to what they do. What they do in complex and large organizations is an ability to lead where you cannot know everyone you're leading. You cannot do it based on personal relationship. You have to do it based on understanding alignment, based on not your best people, not your worst people, but this vast middle of an organization. How do you move them? How do you move them better than competitors? It's very hard. Yeah, so and you did a great job of kind of bringing all that together because you really, there's a lot of good detail in the book that I enjoyed. Um, as I was going through it, one thing that I kept doing, like we do with a lot of these with styles, is I kept, and I even discussed it with my wife, I'm going, huh, I wonder where I fit here. And then I was sitting there, this might be delusional too, I was sitting here thinking, well, they, they make mention of Winston Churchill that he kind of was three out of the four, and I'm going, maybe I'm all four, or maybe I'm three out of five, I don't know, you know. Anyway, you know, sometimes we think a little bit highly of ourselves. Um, but I did recognize that probably fixer is something that I lean towards because I'm one of these guys that walks into a room and one of the first things I see is the piece of paper on the floor, not the beautiful artwork on the wall sometimes. I'm looking at the things that are wrong. But, uh, but how can someone, and I know you've got an assessment coming out, but how can someone either self-assess or get help assessing which style they are maybe more than others? It's a great question. Uh, for sure, I, I, you know, Tim, what I would say about you is for sure you've got fixer in you because, you know, you do amazing work with clients and, and you're wired the way you're wired. You clearly have artists in you as well because, um, let's face it, you can't successfully do this podcast without having some art, artist wiring because artists have voice. And there's the literal, but but voice in the sense of being a stand for something in the world. And you probably more than most any other podcaster, you have voice, you, you have ministry. And so that sense of being fueled by purpose, that that is a really high level of of creative fulfillment. But back to your question. So so the Fabs Leadership Assessment is free. People can take that. Um, on the website, rightleader.com, there are descriptions of each of the four for people to help kind of self-assess themselves. Mm. Okay. Well, I went, uh, I mean, so, so, you know, I went to the site and maybe I went to, the, didn't go to the right place. I want to make sure we include a link so that people can do that um, and, and really check that out. Now, let's just say that someone identifies what they are, that style what is a, I don't want to say a next step or anything like that, but what would you like people to do 
with this information because I could I could pick up on you. I don't think you're just wanting to get information out to people for the sake of getting information. You're wanting to move people in a direction. So when Joe or Sally reads this book, they start determining who they are, they take the assessment. What would you like them to do next? What's the next steps? Have a conversation with their colleagues. Hmm. Because you want to what what we're getting at here, the first the first manifestation of that would be better collaborate. It's not to say go quit your job. It's not what we're saying here, but it is in the sense of, of me knowing you and you knowing me better into more of a, a more authenticity, more genuineness in our relationship of, of what drives you and, and you knowing me, what drives me? You know, Stephen Covey, wonderful author, Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, the best line in the book, the thing that has stuck with me for years is that he said, the deepest desire of the human spirit is to be acknowledged. And, mm. and this is getting back to this issue of leadership, which is, which is we can interpose technology here to measure performance and everything else, but, but our humanity requires that we acknowledge each other. So if we can get into a little deeper conversation and discovery, all to the good. Yeah, and I love, so this is a great tool to actually have conversation because in the world we're in today, we've got so much information with, I could grab my phone or own laptops and all here, but yet I, I notice the same thing. There's not, a, there's not enough conversations going on. So I love the tools here. I mean, you, you with the book got my wife and I discussing some things last night about, uh, about things. I said, I think we're a fixer. What do you think? A fixer? Yeah, maybe, but I, you really, you really blessed me by calling the artist out in me. I think because I'm an engineer by training, I have always pushed that artist aside. But yet, thank you for acknowledging, I create, just have just written a novel. I didn't write a leadership. I wrote a novel with story to it. So uh, thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. I think the thing I want us to finish up here until we get all the coordinates, finish up with until we get all your coordinates and things like that is, the title of the book, Right Leader, Right Time. I know the way you function and probably Olivia, very intentional about all that you do. Talk to me about the title, why that's important. I mean, I've got all these things going through my head, but I want to hear it from you. And then I've got a few questions that we're going to wrap up with. As, as we've said, we could go all day, but we need to stop it here soon. Right Leader, Right Time. Talk to us about that. They, and by the way, I have to say, um, we think the title is great. We didn't think it up. Our editor thought it up. We agonized for years about what the title ought to be. Is Should it be fixer, artist, builder, strategist? People were like, no, no. And, and the editor, she read it. She was like, this is so obvious. It's called Right Leader, Right Time. Um, there, there are just so many situations that we are all in. And we're all stakeholders in different organizations, you know, it, it, not just in business, but in your church, you know, that, that, we, we put people in positions of authority and it behooves all of us to make sure or to try to help um, for people to be in the right roles and that there's an evolution going on for organizations at all times. Nothing is static, especially not now. Volatility is so high. And so to be a little less afraid to look at ourselves, the organizations that we help around us, to try to see is this is this good the way it is? Could it be better? You know, Olivia and I would joke years ago, you'd, you'd watch a baseball game and, and the pitcher is just getting beamed. 
what's going to happen? The manager's going to go out. Get your hands in the ball. Relief guy comes in. Some guy comes in. Is that pitcher fired? No, he's not fired. But but for that game, his arm's tired. Okay? And 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 in, in business, we make this fatal mistake, which is somebody has success in something, and we just grant them, you know, some kind of celebrity status that they must be good at everything. And it's not true in any other walk of life. The, the joke we make in the book is to say, you know, your wife's having a baby, you're going to an OBGYN, you're, you're, you're not going to the cardiologist, you know, your, your plumbing needs some work, you don't need to call an electrician, it's just, but in business, oh my God, somebody has a great quarter or a great year and they must be able to do anything. And it's like, no, that's not true. So that was a lot of our thinking behind Right Leader, Right Time. Yeah, I, and I, and listen, I think, you know, you could talk about right leader, like you said, but that right time is so important, you know, to use the baseball analogy. There are people, there are pitchers that they're only there to get an out or two. They're not there to pitch a whole game to start. They don't, they don't have the mentality of prepping and all that. They bring, they come in for that ninth inning. I'm always, I always admire these type people. And, uh, and I do think that we have not done that well in the business environment. I believe this book will go a long way towards helping that. So thanks for bringing this book to the marketplace. And uh, I actually have a piece of it that I have to go back and finish reading because I was reading quickly towards the end there. So, Robert, where can people find you or find the book? Give it to us verbally. We'll include it down in the notes on all the channels. But where can they connect with you and, and get the book? Thanks, Tim. Uh Connect with us either at rightleader.com or interimexecs.com. The book is available on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's out there. Perfect. Thanks. We'll make sure we include all of that. Robert, we are Seek, Go, Create. And I, 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 those words mean a lot, of, a lot to us. But what I like to ask my final question is, I'm going to give you one of those words that resonates more than the other two. Which word do you pick and why? Tim, your origin story impressed me so much and the word seek, um, to be a seeker. I'm a fellow seeker. Um, but, you know, when you had that RV over to Chicago, we're, we're going to go past seeking. We're going to find some great deep dish um, Chicago style pizza. And it's, it's my treat, you and your wife. Yeah, beautiful. I'd love to do that. I'd, I'd love to know that there's a spot that I could park a 40-foot RV We got you covered. Chicago. We got you covered. <laughs> Very cool. Robert, thank you so much. I knew we'd have fun with this conversation. If you have been listening, I'm going to ask a big favor of you, and that is to share this episode. Listen, as Robert and I discussed earlier, there are challenges with leadership that are too numerous to even list out. We need to be equipping leaders more than ever right now. This book, this resource, what Robert and Olivia have done is a great tool for that. So share this episode. If someone came to mind as we were talking, take a screenshot or on your podcast player or on YouTube, or if you're on one of the social channels, just share it, text it to them, whatever, because people need messages like this. I appreciate Robert and Olivia for putting this together. I'm so thankful that we were able to have this conversation. So I'm glad you listened in. Keep listening to Seek Go Create. New episodes drop every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.